Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Compliance Clarified. My name is Alexander Robson, and I'm the Managing Editor of Regulatory Intelligence here in London. Today, I'm joined by Nathan Lynch, Asia Managing Editor in Perth, and we are talking about a subject very dear to his heart as a Western Australia taxpayer. The world's largest primary bullion producer has come under scrutiny from the world's largest gold market, following allegations that the Perth Mint failed to prevent money laundering and terrorism financing through its precious metals supply chain. The London Bullion Market Association's review into Perth Mint will look at a range of responsible sourcing concerns, including compliance with international anti-money laundering, terrorism financing and sanctions laws. The state-owned Perth Mint has exposed taxpayers to a potential billion-dollar penalty for systemic anti-money laundering compliance breaches of federal law on thousands of occasions. This includes at least 5,000 strict liability cross-border fund transfer reporting offences. The penalty for the International Funds Transfer Instruction, otherwise known as IFTI, reporting breaches carries a theoretical $105 billion upper limit if Austrac, the Australian Transaction Reports and Analysis Centre, chooses to litigate. Austrac has ordered an independent expert to examine a raft of other breaches of the Anti-Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorism Financing Act 2006. This is an extraordinary story by any means, a complete fiasco of governance. What exactly has happened here. Hi, Alex. It is totally incredible and it uh, astounds me that we're in this situation where after major anti-money laundering failures involving our two biggest banks, our three biggest casinos, and now we're facing it with the biggest primary bullion producer in the world, which is actually a government-owned entity. It just seems staggering that the lessons haven't been learned over the past four or five years of major civil litigation, bearing in mind that when the anti-money laundering agency, Austrac, comes after an organisation for enforcement breaches, it's incredibly serious. Uh, The past two settlements have been on average a billion dollars each. So we're talking about huge exposures here. And those exposures are borne by taxpayers because the Perth Mint is the only gold producer in the world that features this government guarantee over all of its liabilities, which includes $6 billion of gold sitting in storage on behalf of customers. One of the incredible things that's emerged, Alex, is that the Mint actually doesn't know who owns all of that gold. So there is gold that has been linked to Russian oligarchs. There are questions about the ownership uh, as far as I'm aware, there was no know your customer controls based around corporate clients across the institution. So if you were a gold dealer in the United Arab Emirates or elsewhere around the world, you could come in, buy gold, store gold and not have any background checks completed as a corporate. So it's an amazing state of affairs. And I think we're going to see this play out over a period of months, if not years. But how did it go so wrong for the Perth Mint systems and controls? It's sadly the same old story. Uh, Just because you're in the public sector doesn't mean that you're not driven by 
cost targets. So you've got an organization here that is a massive exporter. It's actually Australia's seventh largest exporter because of the value of the commodity that it uh, produces or, or at least handles. So when it's buying gold and then refining it at very low margins and then on selling it on market, it's dealing in huge sums of money, but very low margins, very low profits. So the seventh biggest exporter in Australia on a good year delivers the state a $40 million uh, dividend. Now, that's a tiny amount of money. And as we all know in the financial crime and risk profession, remediation work will swallow that $40 million a year profit very quickly. So we've sort of got a situation where the board of the Mint and the senior management decided that they needed to deliver a profit. They took the view that the risk of enforcement action was really low because they had this cloak of invincibility that was given to them by dint of the fact that they were a government trading entity and they just went for it. They just ignored, knowingly ignored their obligations. You know, documents have just come across my desk that show that they knowingly breached American laws that were designed to prevent bullion market fraud because they took an internal view that the odds of them ever facing enforcement action were incredibly low. So look, it's it's kind of one of those situations where risk and compliance is difficult, it's also costly, and some organisations will just take the punt that uh, the law doesn't apply to them. And unfortunately, it's catastrophic in this situation because it's a bad look when governments make a conscious decision or at least government-owned entities make a conscious decision to break state, federal and international laws in pursuit of a dividend. So can we expect any levels of accountability uh, here from uh, senior managers at all? Well, we've seen the change of chief executive and a lot of criticism has been made by the government over the former chief executive, which is curious because it's the phenomenon that we all know as uh, someone being thrown under the bus. So uh, all of the failure and all of the blame tends to get put on former management. We're familiar with this across many a compliance failure. Uh, in terms of actual accountability, so it's a really interesting state of affairs, Alex. The, the Australian corporate law, if this was private sector, would absolutely hold the board and senior management accountable. And we've seen this, for instance, in the case of the Star or Star Entertainment, which is a huge casino whose senior managers and board members are now facing not only, uh, you know, the organisations facing an AML CTF litigation case, but the senior managers themselves are facing action from the conduct regulator for alleged failures to act with um, professionalism and, and skill care and diligence in terms of their, their corporate law obligations. So with a statutory corporation, it's not actually covered by Australian corporate law. It has its own bit of legislation. In this case, it's the Gold Corporation Act 1987, which means that Perth Mint, which is the trading entity of Gold Corporation, doesn't have any of the disclosure obligations, doesn't have any of the director's duties obligations that would normally apply. So it's going to be really interesting to see how responsibility plays out and accountability. Many people would argue that government has a higher standard of transparency and integrity in the private sector, that it should be an exemplar of best practice. I think everyone would pretty much agree with that. So it's going to be fascinating if we discover that, in fact, 
they're able to be held to a lower standard. I'm not sure how the public will react to that. Because you've got a you know a, a different angle here from most other governance failures of this type that we're used to reporting on in financial services, and that's the role of politicians. Yes, it's 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 incredibly different. I mean, we, we're what we're familiar with, of course, in financial services is the notion of moral hazard, where you know you have uh, this situation where all too often the criticism, particularly around the two thousand and eight crisis, was that profits are privatized, losses are socialized. And that creates a moral hazard where uh, organisations are incentivised to take massive risks, knowing that they will get short-term bonuses and leave taxpayers and governments and central banks and the like saddled with massive debts when it all goes pear-shaped. Now, we kind of have a similar level of moral hazard with an organisation like Perth Mint because it has this government guarantee it has a taxpayer guarantee that is an unfunded liability over the starters six billion of gold that's sitting in the vaults at Perth Mint. Now, if that gold were to go missing, uh, the state taxpayers of Western Australia would need to compensate the owners of that gold. So that's a huge liability. And what it's sort of done is it's made the organisation obsessed with physical security. And so they've been completely obsessed with protecting the gold and making sure that the gold's up to standard and it doesn't get uh, stolen in, a, in an Italian job type heist or an Ocean Elevens type heist. But unfortunately, that has blinded them to other non-security, non-financial risks like the type that we're talking about. So once again, you know, it's, it's, it comes back, Alex, to I think a lot of the time these issues come back to culture. And a big aspect of good culture is board diversity. And unfortunately, when we look now at the board of this organisation, it's it's really a bit of a monoculture. You don't have broad non-mining experience there. You don't have banking, financial services, fintech, risk, anti-money laundering. And the organisation had pretty much become a operator in all of those sectors that I've just mentioned without actually realising it. It was ever thus. Uh, well, um, what happens next? Well, what we have now is I think the eyes of the world are watching because it is the world's biggest primary bullion producer. So if the gold market has been infiltrated, shall we say, or, or standards have been less than perfect at Perth Mint, it pretty much exposes the entire gold market to questions around responsible sourcing in particular. So we're now seeing the LBMA in London is doing its own investigation I've spoken to them and they haven't been able to tell us how long that will take because it's incredibly complex and they simply don't know what they're dealing with. But they will be looking at issues around money laundering, terrorism financing, sanctions offences, uh, human rights abuses potentially in certain markets if if illegal gold is being laundered through Perth Mint and uh, as well as environmental issues. So this is all about the integrity of the gold market and the reputation of the gold market. Then on top of that, you've got the anti-money laundering regulators, independent expert review, which is being written at the moment. That will then inform them, Austrac, on whether further enforcement is required. And then we have now this uncertainty surrounding exposures in the US that includes potentially operating a remittance business without realising it and therefore being an unregistered remitter in Australia and the US, which is incredibly serious. In Australia, that's a criminal law. So far, there haven't been any litigation cases 
involving breaches of criminal aspects of the Anti-Money Laundering Counterterrorism Financing Act. It's all been civil. So we're in uncharted territory to some extent, but certainly what I can say, Alex, is that the financial crime and risk community are watching very closely and they're saying to me, we want to see that government entities are held to the same standard as the private sector. So there'll be a lot of concern if a political deal is done that gets Perth Mint off the hook when private sector organisations have been raked over the coals for similar alleged breaches. Well, watch this space. Um, The jury's very much out on that one. Well, that seems like an appropriate time to bring today's proceedings to a close. Thank you, Nathan, for your thoughts. And until next time. Thanks, Alex. It was great to be here as always. Compliance Clarified. A podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.